It's like I'm in the living room, or at least that's the intent. I think I mentioned this last week, but we're going to have a little bit different format to the teaching time over the next few weeks. Easter has happened. Last Sunday was Easter. If you can imagine what it must have been like for those who were getting and receiving the good news that Jesus was alive. Imagine the variety of responses. Wait, he's not dead? Doubting Thomas said, I don't believe it. I got to see it to believe it. I got to touch the hands to believe it. Peter and John ran to the tomb to double check and make absolutely sure that it was empty. And the scriptures even tell us they just went home. Like, tomb's empty. I'm go back home. Like, this is pretty radical information. You think they'd be broadcasting it, talking to people, excited. And so you have all these different people who've encountered Jesus in his ministry and they've seen him publicly executed and they assume it's over. They're waiting for the next Messiah. And the word is spreading that he's alive. But that word is, there's no internet, so it's taking a little while to get the word out, right? Jesus is making a variety of appearances And there were these two disciples who were obviously there or in Jerusalem on that weekend who were making a journey back home to Emmaus. They're headed back home. That's where the scriptures tell us. They're leaving Jerusalem and going to this town called Emmaus. Mary has come back to the tomb and told everybody and some of them are just like, I don't know. I don't have to think about it. I don't know where to to turn. But here's what's going to happen. Both today and in the next few weeks, I'm going to teach some and we're going to talk some. That's why you're kind of arranged where you can see other folks. If you're like me and you're an introvert and that freaks you out, it's a by-participation. I won't call on you, but I won't freak you out. But I will ask questions and ask for your feedback and input. In fact, toward the end of our time, I'm going to want some direct input on where we take this journey. We're going to look at the story of Emmaus together to kind of set the groundwork for this series. But in the coming weeks, we are going to be on a spiritual journey together. So that's why the, I'm down where I can see you and hear you and we can have a conversation versus just a teaching time. So Luke 24 is the passage, starting in verse 13. I'm going to read the story and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Now on that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them's name, who was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God, and all the people and how all our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women in our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us, that they indeed had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, they, and they did not, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary for the Messiah 
that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory. Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, interpreted to them the things about himself in all of the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were as, as if he was going to go on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. But it is almost evening, and the day is nearly now over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took some bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? While he was opening the scriptures to us that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. They told what, they, what, they told what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is one of the encounters of Jesus after the resurrection, and it's a fascinating one. It's a powerful one. Two guys walking and talking on the road, and then Jesus catches up with them. <laughs> what an interesting picture. They're skeptical. They say, we heard the report from Mary. Some of the women in our group went to the tomb and saw that the apostles didn't see him. We haven't met him, so we're not sure. They're saying he's alive. And so when Jesus asks them, what are you guys talking about? They're like, how could you not know? How could you not know what's happened this weekend? How could you not know the things that have happened in a few days? Not only did our leaders, our national leaders, turn him over to be crucified by the Romans, but now they're saying he's not in the grave. It's got to be the biggest story in town. I mean, they didn't have social media, but this had to be the talk of town, right? Roman executions were public. Crucifixions were along the road on the way into town. And so you knew when somebody was being executed. This was not something that's like, oh, that happened and nobody knew it happened. Everybody knew Jesus was gone. The fascinating conversation was now they're saying that he is risen. Are you the only, they're asking, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know? Have you not seen the post? You know what I mean? That's kind of the, that's kind of the incredulous reaction that they're having. But when they, he asks them the question, what are you talking about? Verse 17 tells us that they froze in their tracks. So if you can kind of picture this, they're walking down the road, they're having this conversation, maybe an emotional conversation about who Jesus said he was, and now he's gone. And when Jesus stops them and asks them, they just freeze. They just stop where they are. Scripture says that they're sad. They're still experiencing the loss of the person they thought was the Messiah. And when they describe him to Jesus, when they describe Jesus to Jesus, which is part of the fun part, as the readers, we know what's happening. Their eyes are closed, the scriptures tell us, right? They don't even recognize who he is. But as they're describing Jesus to Jesus, they call him, they use language of, that, that sounds like a prophet. It's verse 18 and 19. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know these things and has taken place in these days? And he asked, What things? The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. That language. He was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. That particular phrase is the way the Old Testament describes Moses. Moses was mighty in word and deed. So these two guys walking back from Jerusalem to Emmaus, who do they assume Jesus was? 
based on this conversation, right? They hoped he was the Messiah. They've made the assumption that he was a prophet like Moses. He has not met up with their expectations. He has not been who they thought he would be. He's a prophet. They describe him the way you would describe Moses in the Old Testament. Mighty in word and deed. We'd hoped he'd be the Messiah, but clearly he wasn't. So he must have been a really good prophet. And our religious leaders had him executed. Back verse 21, it tells us that. They said, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. I've said this numerous times at Connection. The people of, of Jesus' day assumed that Messiah meant political victory and removal of the Roman Empire. That was their assumption about whoever the promised one would be. So you can imagine they're following Jesus and they're seeing him feed 5,000 people from some loaves and fish. They're seeing him raise Lazarus from the dead. They're seeing him do all these powerful miracles, telling people what they know, what they did. There's no way he could know it. He's got this amazing power, mighty words and deeds. He's teaching as one who has authority, the scriptures tell us. Right? That's the references in the Gospels. They're like, he was teaching different than the Pharisees. He was teaching with authority. He was telling us what the scriptures mean, not telling us what somebody said they mean. And their assumption would be he would bring political victory and freedom to a nation of Israel. He still calls the Pharisees our religious leaders. They're still thinking about it like Israel needs to be back on top. And Jesus wasn't the one they executed him this weekend. And so their hearts are filled with sadness. They've lost hope. They're not where they are. Verse 25. How does Jesus respond to that? <laughs> their explanation of who Jesus was. Then he said to them, how foolish you are. <laughs> he rebukes them. He calls them out. How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and then enter into glory? So they have filled him in on the happenings as if he didn't know. And we know when he asked the question. He's fully aware of everything that happened to Jesus, right? But he's filling, they're filling him in on who they think Jesus is. He's this prophet. He's, he's done this stuff and we thought he was going to be the Messiah and he's not. And he goes, have you not read the Old Testament? Do you not still get everything that this old book is telling us about who the Messiah would be, that he would have to suffer before entering into glory? Have you not figured it out that this was supposed to happen? He's reinterpreting it for him. In fact, he even he switches it from prophet to Messiah. Do you notice that? In verse 26, he basically says, is it not true that the Messiah had to suffer these things? Not that the prophet did. He changes their language from prophet to one of Messiah, to raise their expectations. This is what the Messiah was supposed to do, not what you thought. And so what does he do after that? He begins to tell them all about the Old Testament, how it points to the Messiah. You were slow of heart. You didn't understand. So let me show you. And as they are walking on this road, he starts unpacking the Old Testament. This has to be the ultimate Bible study ever, right? Like, you've been to Bible studies and they're good, they're boring, whatever. Jesus is going, this is what Malachi means. That's pretty amazing. 
Jesus himself unpacking Exodus, unpacking Leviticus. Oh yeah, all these rules in here, this is what this is about. Like, can you imagine? Here's these prophecies about the Messiah and how they should be interpreted. When Psalms 98 says this, it's talking about the Messiah, not a prophet, not a political power, but somebody who has a kingdom that is far beyond our hope or dreams. A Jesus-led conversation on a road to Emmaus with Old Testament scriptures to unpack. That's pretty awesome. Well, that takes the rest of the day. Remember, they, they say that Mary came this morning and told us, so this encounter with Jesus is on Easter Sunday. They had been to the tomb early and had come back and told the disciples Jesus was risen. And that's the way they relay the story, right? They're like, she came this morning and told us the tomb was empty. So they're same day walking back to Emmaus with very little information about Jesus and his appearances. The other appearances haven't happened. This is one of the first ones. They don't recognize him even as he unloads scripture. But it takes, the day is ending. The, the, sun, the sun is going down and he acts like he's going to keep going. I'm going to keep on going somewhere else. I'm not going to Emmaus. That's not my destination. And they encourage him to stop. Now, why would they encourage him to stop? Other than the fact that they were attending the best Bible study ever, right? They want, you know, traveling at night, not a good plan, especially by yourself. So they point out, hey, the day is over. You should stay with us tonight and continue wherever it is you're going tomorrow. They're watching out for him. Plus, like, hey, can you keep doing this? This is awesome, right? So what do they do? Verse 20, 28 through 32. They stop. He stops with them after, after acting like he's going to keep going. They came near their village, which they were going. He walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay. Stay with us, because the evening is almost is almost evening and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and they, he vanished from their sight. So he, not only does he stay, they do what all good church people do, is they had a fellowship meal together. Right? Somebody has to bring the fried chicken. You know what I mean? Like It's a fellowship meal with Jesus. They've had the ultimate Bible study. Now they're having a fellowship meal with Jesus. And that language in there, he says he took some bread and he broke it. That ought to sound familiar. Right? It's the same language that he uses when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Took the bread and loaf and fish and he broke it and spread it out. And they kept passing it out and kept passing it out and kept passing it out. So this is familiar. Took some bread and broke it. Same language as the communion table when we take communion. Right? So this is a deeply sacred fellowship conversation with Jesus himself. And that is when they recognize him. That is when their eyes are open, when they break bread together in fellowship. And this is when the scripture gets a little weird. What immediately happens when they recognize him? Poof. <laughs> hey, it's Jesus. Where'd he go? <laughs> I mean, it's a miraculous departure. Jesus does all kinds of weird things after the resurrection, right? He just appears in the room with the disciples. And in this case, he just disappears from the room with the disciples. But now their eyes are open. And their response sounds like what I would say. How clueless were we walking and talking about the Bible with Jesus and we didn't know it was him, right? Right? Did they just go on with their meal and go to bed? What did they do? This is where we can start interacting a little bit. What did they do? 
What? Yeah, they immediately got back up and hit. It's not safe to travel at night. They didn't wait till the next morning. It says they immediately got up and went back to Jerusalem. They're so like, oh my gosh. Now they've got all this instruction from the Old Testament from Jesus himself. Now they've seen him resurrected. They couldn't sit there. What did they have to do? They had to go tell the disciples they had seen Jesus himself. And this is probably one of the first appearances, right? So Simon and Peter and John have seen an empty tomb. We don't know for sure the way the writer writes it, whether or not he's appeared to the eleven yet. And they go back, we've seen him. We had supper with him and he told us all about the Old Testament. We were clueless. We didn't know it was Jesus. Maybe they left that part out. I don't know, right? We didn't even recognize him. They probably didn't. They probably <laughs> they had to tell somebody because it's recorded, right? We didn't even know who he was. <laughs> Can you imagine confessing that to the eleven? I know we followed Jesus for three years, but we didn't recognize him. But they have this spiritual encounter, this amazing journey with Jesus on the road. Their eyes are opened and then poof, he's gone. And if you'll notice, their eyes were opened, even including that in there, is a reversal of what happens in verse 16, right? He joins them on the road and it says what? They didn't recognize him. So in 16, they don't recognize him. And toward the end of the encounter, it says their eyes were opened. So there's a reversal of their spiritual darkness, if you will. So I have a few questions for you this morning. So we're going to kind of draw this out and set up this series. We'll see if you've been listening and taking notes. Not really. First of all, how is this story, this analogy, this picture, this real encounter, I called it an analogy, but how is this story an analogy for a faith? How could it be an analogy for our faith journey? How is this story like our story? Can you see the parallels? Any ideas? This is where you get to have interaction with the pastor. It's going to be fun. And if not, this will be really short. How is this like a faith journey, metaphorically speaking? There are periods where your spirit driven to do what they did. Okay. And they recognize him, go out and share it. Yep. And there are periods where you can be walking with him and not. Exactly, right? If you say the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus is like our faith journey, there's points in time where we see God and recognize Him for who He is in our life. There's points in time in our life where we don't see God in the current happenings. And you're absolutely right. Some of that is because the Spirit prompts us one way or the other, right? The Spirit prompts us to do things. The Spirit helps us to see God at work in our life or not, depending on those moments. It's great. It's a great connection. How is this like a faith journey? Gold star. I'm sorry. That's a great connection. Yeah, the, the passage doesn't tell us where he came from, right? He just joined them. Like, did they walk past him and he's like, oh, I'm going to catch up with them? Or did he just appear? Right? And so what Sally said was, Jesus just shows up at our life in the most odd times, maybe when we don't expect it. He's always there, but then sometimes he's right. there. Yeah. We talk about it in church, right? God is always with us. That's what we say best of all about connection, right? God is always with us. But there are times when we become specially aware of his work in our life. Or he shows up in a particular way. We say that at the beginning of service. Like, we know he's always with us. 
but we assume his special presence is with us when we're gathered for worship. That's good. Some ways this is like our spiritual journey. Yeah. I know, like here, college student, I got an answer, teach. Part of our faith journey together ought to be opening scripture together. Christian faith was never meant to be lived in isolation. You hear that people say all the time, like, I don't do church, but I love Jesus, right? And while that may be true, they're missing out on something. And so what Jacob brings up is right. You you could quit your job for a few weeks and do nothing but study scripture. And Jacob could walk in the room in five minutes, give you something you didn't see the entire time you were studying it. Right, Jacob? (laughs) In other words, part of the reason we're doing even this teaching in this format is you may pick up something from what he says or from what Sally says that I didn't even think to say. The scriptures can be opened. We learn together better together, right? That's why small groups are important. That's why Bible studies are important. That's why staying connected to church is important is because we gain a whole other piece of the puzzle we can't gain in isolation. I mean, the two men assumed a prophet had been executed. That was their understanding of the events. And Jesus appears and enlightens them a little bit and reinterprets those events for them. And how did he do it? With this. He didn't just go, hey, no, that's not what happened. Jesus is really the Messiah. It says he opened the Old Testament scriptures to them to help them see who Jesus really was. He used scripture to open their eyes. The work of the Spirit to help them see differently. That's good. What's some other ways this parallels our faith journey? Yes. Yeah, he asked questions, right? That's one of the things that stands out to me about this story is what does Jesus do? He didn't just start teaching. What are you guys talking about? Okay. He eventually does correct their thinking rather bluntly, doesn't he? He calls them foolish. <laughs> But then he continues with them and teaches them. He's gracious about it. He's like, how have you, it's, the, the language is almost like, how have you not seen this? Check this out. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let me show you this in Isaiah where he's talking about a suffering serpent. Like, how did you not realize? But he does. He asks probing questions. He's gracious with them as they're telling him, how, telling him wrongly who Jesus is, right? He's gracious with them and continues to probe and continues to ask questions. He finally just goes, dude, let me show you. This is where you missed it. But he didn't leave them in their confusion. He, he opens it for them. He's gracious with us. In other words, he doesn't expect you to know it all right now. You ever feel like that as a Christian? It's like, I should know more or be more or do more. or I just feel wholly inadequate as a Christian. I don't know my Bible. I always felt kind of sorry for them. <laughs> <laughs> they were overwhelmed by yeah. crucifixion. Sure. Yeah, it has to be the best Bible study ever. I said that, right? Jesus unpacking the Old Testament. 
She says she feels sorry for him. It's like they didn't know he was him for the most of the conversation and interaction. And the instant they do, he's gone. Like, as soon as I know it's Jesus, I'm asking a few other questions, right? Like, if you have that opportunity, and like Jesus has shown you who the Messiah is, and he's unpacked the Old Testament, and you realize it's Jesus teaching, what would be a question you'd want to ask? You know what I mean? Like, hey, wait, can we go back to the Genesis thing for a minute? You know, like, what would we want to talk about once we realize he's out of here? They're teaching Jesus the wrong thing about Jesus. I would feel sorry for them, too, a little bit, right? What else? These are good. I agree with Miss Sally said that Jesus shows up at times, sometimes confusing times. Mm-hmm. But with these individuals, it's exactly when they need it. And it, in our lives, don't we all see that? You know, when you need it the most, mm-hmm. that's when it shows up. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me about this is it literally is almost a linear faith journey, too. Where are they when they encounter Jesus for the first time? They're heartbroken. They're confused. They're lost. Right? Like they're, I mean, if you're speaking in metaphor here, we know they're disciples. But in metaphor, from a faith journey standpoint, before we come to know Christ, what are we, what are we dealing with? Right? Life hasn't added up the way we expected it to be. We're confused. We're not sure what life means. We're not sure how it matters. There's no hope. We're lost. Jesus enters our life. And even before we profess faith, what happens? His spirit starts to speak into our life, starts to prompt our heart with questions, starts putting us on the curiosity path, right? We start checking out church. We start talking to people who are Christians. And we discover Jesus for the first time. Did you see in the parallel here? Even before they're, if metaphorically, not in the account, because in the account they're disciples, but metaphorically speaking, they're lost and hurting and walking for Jesus with, with Jesus for a season before they come to the realization of who Jesus really is. And it's during that time, in that sequence in the story, where Jesus is doing what? He's being gracious. He's asking questions. He's probing their minds and helping them understand rightly. He's opening the scriptures for them so that they can see the truth of who Jesus is. And it's in a moment of fellowship with Jesus when he breaks bread with them and builds, is building relationship with them that they understand what it really means and their eyes are opened to who Jesus is. And their immediate response to finding out the truth about the Messiah is they cannot wait to go tell everybody else what they've learned. The whole story is a metaphor for faith journey, right? There are tie-ins. One of, my, one of the ones I, that, I missed, that, I, that I noticed when I was preparing this is what about that Jesus not measuring up to their expectations? Has God ever not been exactly who you needed him to be in a certain set of circumstances. Hey, God, I asked for this, and I needed this, and you weren't there for me, or this didn't go the way I planned. And you're disappointed. Well, we know, kind of like we know, and these guys don't even know, that our God's perspective on that disappointment in our life is he's got something else going on. He's got a better answer to the question. He's got a better understanding of the circumstances. And maybe we need to see it in Scripture. We just don't see it yet. And he's going to open our eyes to it too. There's all kinds of ways that the passage of Emmaus, the story of Emmaus, 
starts to look like our story. So you don't have to answer this question out loud, because I'm going to ask questions occasionally over this conversation where it's like better we talk about it or you and God talk about it. You don't have to tell everybody. But where do you fit in this journey? Are you still early in the encounter? Are you still lost and confused about spirituality? Are you Jesus walking along and you don't even see him at work in your life? You know what I mean? Are you open to who he is? Do you correctly understand who he is? And do you have the same response that they did? Is living the life of Christ something that is dying to get out of you? You've got to tell everybody and help them understand the hope and the love that you've discovered. It's a rhetorical question here. Where are you in that journey? Maybe you've been a Christian a long time, but you're not dying to go back to Jerusalem and tell people. Maybe you've never really had your eyes open to who Jesus is as Messiah. I don't know. But that's a great question to ponder. Now, a final question I want to ask, and this will be helpful for me. And then I want to draw a couple of things out that I might have just done, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Is this. The faith journey is a challenge, is it not? I mean, if you've been on it for a while, if you've been on the road to Emmaus for a season, like me, because <laughs> I'm old, there are challenges that come up, Right? So I want to ask you, because here's what's going to happen. The reason I'm setting this up with this metaphor is the next few weeks, we are going to have our own conversations on the road to Emmaus. Right? We are on a spiritual faith journey together now as a church. And so it would be helpful for me to know, what are your obstacles on your faith journey? Now, again, if that's one of those questions like, I'll tell you later, cool. But I would love to hear from you. If you want to share it now, that's great. Well, you can speak in generalities. We don't know what's your obstacle. What are some obstacles to the faith journey for Christians? I'll depersonalize it for you. What are some things that Christians run into that are obstacles on their faith journey? Is your hand up or are you stretching? Everything in your life. Everything in your life. Okay. So that's, thanks for narrowing it down for me, Stephen. <laughs> Is regret kind of the way you're couching that? Or everything. Or everything. Yeah, Stephen's like, hey, just talk about everything in the next five weeks. It'll be great. I'm with you. I understand what you're saying. What are some obstacles either that you've met or that you've seen Christians face when they're on their road? Bad things. Okay, yeah. Okay, so dealing with tragedy, right? I mean, the guys in the story are literally dealing with the tragedy of loss of Jesus. So that one's... Was there? I think comparing your journey to others. Say that again. Comparing your journey to others. Comparison. Okay. Comparing your journey to others. Tell me what you mean by that a little bit. Expand for me. That's helpful. You start comparing people. You, you, you know the people who, like, you know them if you know what I'm talking about. You know, you'll know what I mean if you know what I mean. You run into somebody 
that are like natural prayer people that like prayer like they walk across the street Lord keep me safe like they pray for everything and so if you bring them a concern and you say hey would you be praying for me about exams in a couple of weeks they'd be like let's pray right now they're that person you know what I'm talking about I've known several of those people in my faith walk it's like and then when they start praying you're pretty sure Jesus is the one doing the praying you know these people you've met these people right I'm sure at some point in your faith walk and if you, that's not you, what's your immediate default response to that? Like, man, A, I, I didn't think to pray on the spot. B, I don't pray like that. That's, I mean, that, that's kind of, you kind of go, why can't I be like that? There's some of that comparison thing that happens, and you go, I'm not a very good Christian. <laughs> it's like, that's the gist of where you're going. I feel completely inadequate as a Jesus follower. Okay, all right. When you, when you encounter somebody like that, you go, man, I miss prayer in the uh, Christian line somewhere along the way. All right. Obstacles for your faith. This is your opportunity over the next few weeks for me to drill into what these obstacles are. Be careful who you say doesn't deserve it, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That'd be me too, you know what I mean? Yeah, how many times in the Gospels does Jesus go, what? <laughs> who do people say that I am? Uh, some people say you're Elijah again. Like, you know, how many times in the Scriptures does Jesus kind of do the self-evaluation check-in and the disciples are still like, oh, you know. Or they're fighting about who's going to be on the right hand in the kingdom and he's like, that is not the point. You're still not getting it, guys. You're, I mean, even in the Easter story, Jesus tells them on the, way, on the road to Jerusalem, going into the Holy Week, the Messiah must die, but he'll be resurrected again on three days. And you read the Easter story, and it says things like, they still did not remember him telling them this was going to happen. <laughs> kind of go, Jesus had to go, guys. But he kind of does respond with, you foolish guys, did you not? But he does Throw it back to the scriptures a little bit, not even to Jesus. He just kind of goes, did you not read the scriptures? Where it says the Messiah has to go through this. Can you imagine the level of frustration? I've been with you for three years. I've been telling you this is going to happen. I've been telling you what it means. to. F- I'd, I'd be the same way, you know. It's like, you're out of the club. You're not one of the, <laughs> you know, you're out. And we get that way about our own faith walk. Maybe we feel like, has Jesus given up on me? kind of ties into the comparison game a little bit too, right? You turn that back on yourself and you kind of go, did I screw up too much this time? Maybe that's there too. Any others? Any? 
What's that? Yeah, and that kind of goes to the comparison too, but fear and anxiety is always a popular topic for scripture. What does it look like to live a faith that's meant to be in fellowship, that's meant to be sacrificial, that's meant to turn the other cheek, put others first, and everything in the culture teaches you the exact opposite and brandishes you for weird for not agreeing with them? It's close to what Stephen is saying, you know, the struggle for material gain or success or individual strength or look what I did. You put, that, you put a pastor robe on that attitude and you can get really good at building a system or a kingdom or a building or a program and not be about what the church is about. And that's not even the purpose. And so what ends up happening is you get, you know, you've probably heard multiple stories of pastoral moral failure in major, major, major churches because it became about the building or about the program or about the, the ministry, its reputation, and, not, and they became emotionally and spiritually bankrupt in that process, right? But yeah, the church has to be called back to this is what it's about. Uh, we commissioned our missions team this Sunday morning up at 840 and probably again now as we're speaking and we're sending some folks to Delta Grace next, this week, right? And so Jim has been pre- was preaching this morning about the Great Commission that the main thing that he said, these exact words, kind of what you just said, the church is about making disciples. What was the response of the guys when they figured out who Jesus was and what he had told them? They immediately went back to Jerusalem and started sharing the good news. And one of the things Jim said was, it's not the great suggestion that Jesus gives his disciples when he's leaving. It's not the great option. It is the great commission. We are supposed to share our faith. For some of us, that's like, you know, there are ways to do it that are not freak out, but it is not an option. I had a a pastor friend of mine that said, you know, if you're a Christian and and you're wondering, do I have a mission? You're a Christian. You have a mission. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, duh. There is no Christian without mission. And it looks different for everybody. The role we play, the conversations we have, the gift mix that we have, it's different. But the church's mission 
is to carry the news that these guys discovered on the road to the whole world. It's not an option. It's a commission of his disciples to go and make more disciples. Um, just a couple of thoughts. I'll make, make sure I didn't miss anything. And then we'll, the guys are going to come back and do a, a response song for us to want to draw up our this morning. And we're going to continue this process. We'll have some conversations over these, over these things that you just gave me in the coming weeks. So now that you suggested them, you better come on Sunday so you can hear the answer to your question. Just throwing that out there. Jesus is with them even when they were unaware. That's one thing you can take from the story. I think Sally even pointed that out. Jesus was alongside them. They were clueless about it. He draws them out. He unveils their eyes. He's the one that transforms them in the midst of the conversation. And he uses scripture to do it. Jesus transforms them as they are going. You know, this is probably a prequel to something in the coming weeks. But the Great Commission is go and make disciples. A better translation of the Greek is, as you are going, make disciples. It's not a, okay, starting next week or in two years when I've studied enough Bible. It is as you are living your life, as you are worshiping, as you are gathering, as you are at work, as you are at the ball game, as you are going, make disciples of Jesus. And so Jesus is transforming these disciples on the road on the course of their journey. Not someday and not back then, but no longer. But as they are going. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are, I'm so thankful for this conversation. It is a fantastic picture and reminder that we are on a faith journey together. That we can learn from each other. That you can use our conversation to provide conviction, to provide insight, to provide encouragement, to provide in hope, provide hope. Open our eyes the way you did these two men. Help us to see that you've been with us, that you are with us, and that one day you will be on that journey again with us. And that is our reason for hope. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>